Welcome, listeners, new and old, to another episode of Brothers in Song. I'm feeling groovy today, Joe. How about you? It's been too long, my friend. It has been too long. So glad to see you. How are you? Uh, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty well. Doing doing pretty well. Back to, or glad to be back to uh, doing the show with you. Um, our listeners may have noticed that the episodes aren't quite as frequent as they have been in the past. Uh, that's because, in spite of what you may have been led to believe, you know, podcasts are not, you know, the road to fame and fortune. Um, we have day jobs and, and other things going on. So, you know, we we release episodes when we feel like we can give everyone a good one, but uh, we're, we're glad to be back. What's, yeah. uh, what's been happening with you, Joe? Uh, you know, the usual stuff, but definitely listening to lots of fun things in my ears. Um, but I thought, we haven't recorded in a while, and I, I don't think we've done like a really like standard episode in a while. So I thought, let's get back to our roots. Let's get back to why we started this, right? Because why we started this was to go back and listen to stuff that maybe we haven't listened to so closely before. Um, so we're going to explore a great album tonight. But before we get into it, um, I wanted to pose a question to you, which is kind of a little bit off the beaten path, but I thought it would be a little bit fun because the group we're going to talk about tonight, spoiler alert, it's Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, they didn't make it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that one ended in a, in divorce and then a reconciliation, then another divorce, and then another reconciliation. So uh, on that theme, I thought it would be fun for us just to talk briefly uh, about any television shows that you thought, like, man, I wish they wouldn't have called the quits. Why did they do that? Yeah, so the first one I can think of is the show Arrested Development, which I, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever watched, but the first... Uh, the first couple seasons of that are just, it's just comedy gold. And even though there's maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe 20 or so episodes or 25 episodes within those first couple seasons, a lot of those moments from that show have become, you know, meme worthy at this point mm -hmm. and quotable and people who know and love the show uh, uh, use those quotes with each other and were turned into t-shirts and things mm -hmm. and you know it it did get rebooted but I'm just I don't know I'm just really not interested in that yeah you know yeah. I I appreciate it for what it was you know this kind of uh, it's like a like a bright comet that goes across the sky and then it's <laughs> over. Um, yeah, yeah. And I wish they, they continued on a little bit longer, but in general, I think it's, it is a little bit better to leave audiences wanting more than, you know, going on too long. Mm -hmm. um, another show I thought of, which is kind of obscure, so I'm not going to talk about it too long, is this really cool show that was on Netflix. And now you can't even watch it. Like, I think Netflix took it off. Oh, really? And, uh, mm. yeah, it was this show called... It, it has the unfortunate name 
Gypsy, but it starred Naomi Watts, who I love as a uh, as a as a as a mental health therapist who would use her clients' lives to kind of formulate a double life for herself. And it was just like all these hmm. interconnecting interpersonal relationships. Uh, and it ran for one season. It was probably like eight episodes or something. And they yeah, yeah. didn't didn't renew it. And uh, Netflix did a whole house cleaning a, a, a few months ago. And I think it's just... It's gone, gone forever. forever. Yeah. Um, well, if they created it and they produced it, then that can just go in a vault and they don't have to pay anybody. <laughs> right, right. Um, but th those were a couple that, that I thought of uh, immediately. So Rested Development is not a show I've spent a lot of time with, but I've heard from multiple sources that I trust, including you, that it's probably worth watching. So maybe I'll have to see if I can find that one. Uh, for me, the one that came to mind was Deadwood. I don't know if you ever saw that show on HBO, but it's, they sort of did bring it back in a, in a weird way because it was three seasons, so it's not that long. And it would have been, it was great how they ended it, but it would have been cool if it went on longer. But then they did do a movie uh, maybe like three or four years ago. So it was kind of fun to revisit all those characters. I find that in TV, it's less the narrative and it's more the characters that bring you back again and again. And um, and it's sometimes a little bit difficult when you're like, oh, I feel like these people are my friends. They're these like really compelling characters and then they're gone. So uh, so that was certainly one. And then like I would never get mad if they did more episodes of The West Wing. I always I always loved that show. I thought it was great. Um, at any rate, let's get to the topic of at hand tonight and we are as i alluded to going to go back to listen to the 1966 album by simon and garfunkel parsley sage rosemary and thyme and um this was their third studio album and this is the one where they i think they really took control of the creative process and were really put their stamp on it i think prior to this they had kind of been heavily influenced by studio executives and we're just trying to make music that would sell um and in this crisp i think it's only 29 minute album um they explore a lot of different things and i thought in um in a way that was really compelling and 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 certainly not everything is a you know number one hit but there's a lot it packed in here it's almost like a chicken bouillon cube of music because it's so <laughs> condensed. Um, and certainly I had heard lots of Simon Garfunkel songs before and know the hits and know a little bit about the history of the, of this duo together, but um, had never really listened to this album all the way through. So I thought it would be fun for us to kind of go back and, and take a listen to it. And it's certainly, it is a product of the times. And I think, you know, some of the best possible ways. But um, I, I don't think we need to talk so much about like our previous background, because I think you were probably along the same lines as I was as somebody who, you know, admired them, knew, knew the hits. But I was, uh, you know, I guess let me pose you a question. Had you listened to this one closely before or was this 
kind of a new exploration for you? It, it was new. Like you say, uh, especially, you know, far, folks of our age and older, I think it'd be pretty difficult to completely avoid the big hits by by Simon and Garfunkel because they were they were so popular and so influential. But I didn't really know them on an album by album mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. Uh, so so that was going to be an interesting experience, and uh, it it didn't always you know go quite where. I expected. So, you know, I, I have listened to Bridge Over Troubled Water, their their final album, before a cup a couple of times, but that one it, it kind of does feel like a final album because it doesn't always feel like it's unified, like they threw a live track on in there and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um but uh you know, knowing that this was part of their mainstream, their, or the start of their mainstream success and their creative control and all that, I was interested in listening to it. And when I first took a look at the track list and saw that running time of, you know, about mm-hmm. 28 minutes or whatever it is, I thought, how is that going to work? How are you going to have 12 songs that add up to yeah. less than 30 minutes of music? Yeah, but yeah. in a way, it does work because the short runtime makes it easy to listen to the whole thing numerous times. And since there is so much going on musically and they crammed so much creativity into those short songs, it's helpful in taking it all in because you don't have to to listen to, you know, an hour of material mm-hmm. to step back and get the whole picture. Uh, and there's a lot to dig into. Um, you know, I do wish some of the songs were a little bit longer and, you know, I'll go into detail about that a little later, but I thought the majority of the record felt cohesive and well-crafted and, uh, you know, and I was fully expecting that. Uh, and I was expecting a lot of the folk-oriented stuff that you associate with Simon and Garfunkel. And there is that on this album, but there's also some like weird wrinkles in here that have, that surprised me a bit. Absolutely. And I think, um, I think starting with the opening track and the closing track as bookends, which Mm -hmm. is another of their albums, but yeah, (laughs) but pardon the pun. Um, but I mean, I think it's just a really clever way to position this. I think Paul Simon was living in England during part of the composition of this. So mm-hmm. you can hear a lot of Anglican themes, you know, especially in Scarborough Fair, obviously, but certainly in a couple of other tracks as well. And, and this idea of coming home um, and then you get home towards the end and there's just it's this, you know, gut-wrenching, beautiful, simple rendition of Silent Night with the, you know, local newscaster broadcasting over it at, uh, you know, on that closing track. And that's all real stuff that happened. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, having that overlaid, this kind of 
beautiful longing uh, from Silent Night is really kind of a, I think, a pretty clever way to um, close the album and really speak to the time. You know, 1966 obviously was a pretty turbulent time in this country uh, for a lot of reasons. And um, I feel like they really tried to capture that on that final closing track, but really throughout the entire album. It's a lot to unpack because you're right. It's just so condensed. And I agree with you. I wish some of the tracks were a little bit longer. I wish that they'd, you know, maybe done a little bit more with some of them just because it, it, it took a pretty uh, familiar song structure. And I feel like they could have explored that a little bit deeper. But, you know, I'd love to hear some of the tracks that stood out to you um, beyond the, just those two that I just mentioned. Yeah, I, I don't even know where to start because I feel like we have to definitely give, you know, give credit to those more well-known things like Scarborough Fair, like 59th Street Bridge Song and, and, and Homeward Bound. Yeah, uh, yeah. But at the same time, I feel like maybe people already like know those really well so do we want to talk about like some of the deep cuts i mean i i think i think we can if folks can choose to fast forward or not through our commentary about them but i feel like it's 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 hard to talk about that without even mentioning those so feel free to start with any one of them all right so 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 let's go ahead and and talk about kind of the the big songs first mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um You know, listening to Scarborough Fair again and listening to it several times over the course of a few days is such a clear illustration of one of the hallmarks of Simon and Garfunkel, which is those really tight, beautiful harmonies. And, you know, Joe, you, you talked about this on, on some of our previous episodes about, you know, how harmonies work and how it's not just about matching you know, matching notes and, you know, and having the right, uh, you know, and having the the right intervals to make mm -hmm. a, a pleasing mm -hmm. harmony. It's also about the voices having tone quality that matches and having dynamic balance and, mm -hmm. and those, and those kind of things. And uh, among singing duos, I mean, Simon and Garfunkel has got to be in everyone's top five, right? Uh, I mean, I would hope so. And like, just if I can take us on a little bit of a tangent, it's like, you know, this is not that long before they decide to sort of part ways for the first time in a pretty significant way um, in 1970. And I really, like, I had to think about it in my head. It's like, you guys have known each other since basically elementary school. Yeah. And <laughs> you're yeah. like... I can't stand you so much that I'm willing to say like, yeah, we could make a, another couple million dollars. I don't give a shit. Like, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And like, I don't know. That's got to be a pretty interesting dynamic to get you to that point, just generally. But I mean, it's uh, that's kind of crazy to me. That and because, like, frankly, they weren't together that long that you'd be like, Oh, we well, guys are together for 25 years, you want to do your own thing? I get it, cool. 
I feel like there was a lot more music to be made by this duo. And they were mm-hmm. just like, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> it, yeah, and, and just... It's it's just... I, I don't know. Like, I don't really believe in, like, fate and magic and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, but for those two guys to be in the same place at the same time as kids and have Mm -hmm. both have an interest in music and both have similar voices that that blend well together and to like make this music together is like it's just not something you find every day and you know maybe they maybe they spoiled each other and (laughs) and that's why they felt you know confident enough to like break this up but well and that's the thing is that you know, the odds of you finding somebody that like fits you so perfectly artistically and vocally are pretty rare. And certainly they had the benefit of like knowing each other for so long, you know, as younger people and then growing up up together. But, you know, it just like sticks out in my mind. They reunited for a concert in Central Park. I think it was like 1981. Yeah. And it's like, half a million people were on the great lawn like that's insane yeah that many people there because that place probably should fit like fifty thousand. right (laughs) right and that's still like huge and um at any rate it's it's crazy to me and i guess this has been um you know people who are a little bit older than us probably been on their minds for a while like what happened why did this happen (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but but they uh, but but I think like on Scarborough Fair, going back to your original thing, then I took us on a weird tangent. For um, you know, it's a very medieval. Uh, well, it's not. It's a medieval um, sort of folk song, and they make it their own. And they mm. and they add all these different elements to it, and they layer on top of it. So it doesn't like you certainly can recognize that tradition in it, but it, they still make it their own, which I think is why it's special. Because yeah. if it was just a oh we're just going to do this thing, you'd be like I don't really care. But they made it their own, and they brought it up into sort of modern times, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah, and. It's the production on this is just so good. Uh, and as we know, they're recording on tape. There's there's no pitch correction. There's they, you know, they're they're not working with any kind of software that they can make any kind of like little little edits or like paste thing, mm-hmm. cut and paste things from multiple takes. And it's just so tight uh, and just sounds so good with all the vocal layering and there's a harpsichord yeah yeah (laughs) and they had to go out and like get a harpsichord player which is like i think every every time you know every musical era like people make the best use of the tools that are at their disposal their disposal Mm -hmm. so i'm not trying to you know say that their era was was necessarily better than any any other era just because they had to work harder. But I am just pointing out that they had to work harder. Yes. Like, 
you couldn't just be like, oh, let me download a harpsichord plugin and just play it on my, you know, on my virtual guy, keyboard. Get him in the yeah. studio and have yeah. him play the damn thing. Yeah, they had to find a guy with a harpsichord and bring him in the studio and do that, you know. So it, when you think about all of that extra work that goes into it, it just makes it, you just appreciate it more. I echo your sentiments, like people use the tools that they have and like, you know, it's pretty easy to mess around now digitally to say like, huh, what would this, I played it on a piano, what would it sound like as a harpsichord? And you put on the filter and you change whatever, and then you test it and you say like, oh, this is better or it's not. And then you kind of move on. It's like, if you're going to make a choice, like you make a choice and then you have to invest in that choice a lot more than however much time it's going to take you to click a few buttons on the, on the computer, you know? Right. And it's the, it's the investment that, uh, I think that's the, the perfect word. I think you came up with the perfect word because you have to invest time in finding someone who can play a harpsichord and mm -hmm. like bring that, bring that instrument or you go to that instrument. Whereas now you could play the whole thing and then yeah. change the whole thing to whatever instrument. You like, want. oh, it's not quite right. What is it missing? Let me try this. Let me try that. And then yeah. you try one yeah. and it works and that's great. And, mm -hmm. but it's a lot, it's a lot of, uh, it's not such a heavy lift, I guess, to do mm -hmm. that, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. um, should we go to Homeward Bound? Because that was the one that sure. I was most familiar with on this album. And, um, you know, that's just a classic longing song, trying to return to your roots. And, um, you know, it's a hit for a reason. It's great. Uh, I think it has all... You know, everything you mentioned about Scarborough Fair with their voices coming together certainly applies to this song as well. Um, you know, and the chorus is just beautiful. Um, what what were your impressions of the song re-listening to it, I believe, uh, after having heard it, I'm sure, many times? One thing that I think this song illustrates very well, and it's found throughout the album, just how very, very thoughtful and well-crafted the lyrics are, especially mm. in terms of like the cadence of the poetry and the rhyme schemes yeah, and the imagery and how that all fits together. Mm -hmm. The way that the, the song is, is composed, it's like there are a million songs about longing for home, right? Sure. But sure. But just the way this is done, I think, is uh, just uniquely good. I, I, I like how the verses kind of have this more melancholy melody to it. And then, you know, and and so the the music is um, is enhancing the lyrics because they because they're both exploring that like melancholy mm -hmm. feeling uh and then when the speaker of the song is singing about going home you know the 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 uh the pace picks up and it's just a much more joyful feeling um and that that contrast really is very effective and it makes the song 
it's obviously one of their greats and it's pretty clear why right <laughs> yeah so what one well those were sort of the big hits for me were there any sort of big ones that you had already you know knew about before listening to this one again um well there is 59th street bridge song oh sure yeah 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 and yeah. You know, I think in this day and age, it might sound corny to some people, you know, feeling yeah. groovy or whatever. But, you know, but but hey, I I like it. You know, I didn't realize that song is a minute and a half. I know it's crazy, that, right? Which is kind of, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm definitely not for, you know, just padding things with filler just for the just for the sake of it just to hit a certain just to hit a certain mark and and maybe it's fine at a minute and a half i don't know but it seems like they they could have taken that a bit farther as good as it is yeah um, well that's that's sort of what i was alluding to in some of my initial comments like that sounds great like let's kind of explore where else we could go with it and then just like, nah, no thanks. We're gonna just go through this thing twice and that's gonna be be it. Yeah, I mean, even if they, you know, I don't know, stuck in some sort of like small instrumental break and then repeated another mm-hmm. verse. Mm-hmm. Uh and maybe brought it through toward some sort of a a finale besides a fade out. You know, maybe bring the whole thing up to like two minutes and 15 seconds or two minutes and 30 seconds. Like, I don't know. That's crazy, Um, right? (laughs) Yeah. But that's that's just wild to me, like a minute and 30 seconds for this. Song, and it's got to be one of their most famous songs. I mean, other than Bridge Over Troubled Waters. Yeah, it's pretty high. It's the most famous, the second most famous Simon and Garfunkel song. I don't know. It might be. (laughs) Well, uh sound of silence maybe but no yeah, yeah. true yeah but yeah well i i just want to so i'm glad that you mentioned that because i agree with you on that one but the, a couple that maybe get less uh acclaim than they should for me flowers never bend with the rainfall i thought that was just gorgeous and mm. i had I don't think I'd ever heard that song before. Maybe I have, but I had never listened to it closely. And I thought that one was uh, just, I, I think, you know, certainly they're great. Uh, they're great at the music composition, but for me, the poetry is what kind of links it all together. Mm-hmm. And that one has, you know, some lines that really make you, uh, make your heart ache and, and make you think about things from a different perspective. And I, I really, um, I thought that was a great one. Um, and again, a very tight, what is it? Uh, 210. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's another one, which I mean, I don't know, maybe they're just like, listen, I can come up with a couple stanzas and then this is my thought on this experience and I'm done. And then they just leave it at that. I don't know. But, um, that one stuck out for me as sort of one of the less celebrated tracks from this album. Did you have any like that? Yeah, along the same lines, you know, speaking of the the lyrics and the poetry uh, in these songs, um, 
uh, I agree with you about the song you just mentioned, and I also liked uh, the dangling conversation. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of real good line pairings in that song, um, like when he says, "Well, first of all, this is a song about." Um, you know, a couple that needs to have a difficult conversation about their relationship and it's just they're they're not doing it, you know, they're they're avoiding it. And mm-hmm. uh they he talks about you know sitting together and 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 there's this you know there's this kind of heavy cloud in in the air that uh they but but no one's acknowledging it um so i like the line where he says uh and you read your emily dickinson and i am mm-hmm. i robert frost and we note our place with bookmarkers that measure what we've lost so what he's saying is that they're they're reading and like filling that time so they don't have to acknowledge this issue and have this tough conversation and the pages that they've already read is the way that he's counting the time that they could have been like addressing this problem and Mm -hmm. trying to resolve it in some way um and i also like where he says like a poem poorly written we are verses out of rhythm couplets out of rhyme in syncopated time and that last that last line is all messed up musically because it's syncopated (laughs) right exactly so so paul sings the line in syncopated time yeah and then art garfunkel sings it right after him on the downbeat so it's syncopated yeah yeah yeah. um so i i thought that was a, a cool detail of that song yeah, I I agree with you on that. And I I mean, I didn't realize they were such great fans of uh Emily Dickinson cuz I think the song for Emily was wherever for Emily wherever I may find you her mm. mm-hmm. is really about Emily Dickinson and Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, that's again just another reason to celebrate her because she's great and um maybe i should spend more time reading emily dixonson i don't know um but that's another one where the poetry of the lyrics really um really are beautiful and you have to like sit down take a minute and listen to it and it's like oh my gosh it's just great it's really great um was there anything that stuck out to you that was like off-putting or didn't quite hit the mark for you um well there there's a couple that i kind of have mixed feelings about Mm -hmm. the the main one is and i'll try and pronounce this correctly a simple desultory philippic yeah um and well first of all i have to say like these these song titles would make you know emo bands in the early 2000s <laughs> jealous because they always had like these super long yeah 
song titles. But anyway. That you're just like, what does that even mean? Well, yeah, yeah, I had to look look it up. Uh, I love the, the kind of very 60s sounding fuzzy guitar mm-hmm. and the organ. And the, the singing starts and I'm like, okay, is this a Bob Dylan homage or is it a parody? And after listening to it a few times, like, or not even a few times, probably by the time you're done with the first listen, you're just like, okay, this is yeah. like, this is a parody. And I'm like, are Paul Simon and Bob Dylan having a folk rock beef? Is this like Jay-Z and Nas? <laughs> like what? Uh, like he even cribs a couple of lines from Bob Dylan songs. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. You can keep that in. that was a good one (laughs) oh man (laughs) and I swear I'm not taking an edible tonight (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) yeah the folk Um, rock beef it well it it really seems like he's He's, he's totally try- taking a piss at him. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. And he he sticks in a couple lines from Bob Dylan songs in there. Um, you know, when he says, uh, it's all right, ma, everybody must get stoned. Like those are two two lines from two different Bob Dylan songs. Um and uh it, it does come across as very cynical. Mm-hmm. And I've arri- I'm, I've arrived from the future, Paul, to tell you that you need to pace yourself with that cynicism because it's only <laughs> 1966. Yeah, you got you got ways to go. Um, and man, there's so many references in there. It, it would just, you know, maybe someone who's a little older would recognize all or most of them and and have an idea of like their significance. But it's like take me weeks to research all of it. Um. I, I sort of stopped listening because now I'm like thinking there's like a um, 1966 like championship belt that Paul <laughs> Simon and Bob Dylan are wrestling over. Oh my god! In my head, but yeah, that's um, a point well made, my friend. That that's a good one. Um, for me, one that I was just kind of like, I guess we're just in the 60s, which is fine. Um, and that's the big bright green pleasure machine. Okay. That's just like weird and very very much a product of the times, so that's fine. Um, but I don't need to listen to that again. And what's yeah. crazy is like as economic as they were on this entire album, that might be the second longest track. Mm. So yeah. they spent like a lot of <laughs> I don't know why that one ended up being that uh, substantial on the album. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you run like like to us that the the big bright bright green pleasure machine like that feels like well-worn territory, but I think after kind of like this boom of like materialism that happens in the 50s like in the 60s people are mm-hmm. People are are 
you know, re re rebelling against that and, and, um, you know, talking about all these, like the, the trappings of like modern living and stuff like that. So there's a lot of, I, I think there's a number of, of songs from, you know, from that era and like from the seventies and stuff. I know like James Taylor has a song called money machine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and that kind of thing but but i get it and like those two songs are definitely in like stark contrast like musically and in like their lyrical tone you know compared to the rest of the album sure sure yeah any final thoughts for you after listening to this you can definitely see like you know the 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 seeds of their of their influence and and mm -hmm. and you can see kind of like where they're going to go from here and and understand why they were so popular uh and why they were so inspirational to the artists that would come soon after them like james taylor and joni mitchell and crosby stills and nash and so on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to to kind of draw draw a comparison like the movie casablanca you hear the quotes over and over again throughout your life and you like hear the or you might see like those the a snippet of those famous scenes like a couple mm -hmm. minutes here and there and you hear them so much that they kind of become the cliches or meaningless or something right, but then right. when you take the movie as a whole and you actually watch the movie you're like oh this is a really fucking good movie yeah, you know, yeah, it's not yeah, just yeah. the quotes. And I kind of feel that way about like Simon and Garfunkel, like maybe they're actually like underappreciated at this point. Yeah. Like considering their you know how good they were and their and their influence on on music going forward. Uh and I think I've done myself a disservice by like by not listening to their their deeper catalog, and that's something that I, I feel like I need to do now and like do some do some homework. Um, but uh, yeah, it's cool when you can when you can explore something like that and not just be like, well, yeah, I guess that was good for the time, but listen to it and see like oh there's like some real like skill and like mastery of what they're doing and and the vision that they had you know absolutely and like again we're talking about this is 50 i guess we're 55 years mm -hmm. right out from this uh no 50 hmm, 57 years out and it still kind of holds up like you hear the influence from the times, which is fine. Um, but I do tend to agree with you that, you know, it's pretty easy to make Simon and Garfunkel jokes and how it's like this, like this duo that didn't make it. And, you know, mm -hmm. people like to kind of use it as a punchline. But the reality is, they were pretty great together and they made some really influential music in the fifties and the sixties. And, 
Um, you know, I even think some songs on this album and some other songs from their entire catalog certainly withstand the test of time. And when you hear great music or you see great art, like, it doesn't matter when it's from. And it certainly it helps to understand the context and how it was made, but it, it definitely stands up and it is, you know, a great thing. And um, I thought it would be good to really look at this one closely because I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. Um, so with that, I think we've done it. Um, are we ready to announce what the next one's going to be? Or are we going to take a minute to brainstorm about that? I think we're going to take a minute to brainstorm. Okay. Because we have a couple of ideas in the hopper. I just don't know which one's going to be next. Right. Friends. Yeah, neither, neither do I. Maybe they'll all be surprises from here on out. But, you know, <laughs> but we'll have, but we'll have, a, you know, a few more episodes uh, come out before, before our summer break. And um, thank you all once again for listening. And uh, we appreciate you all very much. Take care, everyone. Brothers in Song is written and produced by Joseph Collin and Daniel Collin and edited by Daniel Collin. To keep up with the latest news, follow us on Instagram at Brothers in Song. Until next time, listen to some new music. You just may surprise yourself.